part, yeah, just, just tell you right up front the date and time. Um, sorry, Dean. <laughs> yeah, good. Well, can we know the day or the hour? Actually, some of these things will come up today. So I'm real excited to be here today. The topic of end times has been a passion of mine right from actually a young teenager. And I've always really had this hunger and desire to study this topic. We had uh, uh, scholars would come in, people teaching at different times with their charts and everything else would come, and I was always so captivated on this, this topic. And if any of you grew up, I grew up in the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, up in Canada, and the Pentecostal church there, and many, many of the denominations you guys may know here, you'd hear all the time, if the Lord tarries till the end of this message, you know, I, I'll come back and speak next week if the Lord tarries. Right? We heard, we heard that, especially in the 80s. It was really common. I don't know before then. I wasn't born much before then. And, but during that period of time, we'd hear it over and over and over again. I was expecting the Lord to come back at any moment. You'd hear often prophecies and, you know, the Lord's coming back really soon. And sometimes people would put certain dates on it and, and then it wouldn't be correct. But um, you know, you'd hear these different things over and over again. And Melissa says, I need to tell him myself, as a teenager, I um, had this one prayer. I said, Lord, you come back any time. I'll be ready for it. Any time. Just let me be married for just a little bit first. That was, that was my, um, my goal as a teenager. So um, this has been, and it's the pre-trib rapture of the church is what we hear, is the timing that the Lord can come back at any moment. In fact, the, the doctrine I'm going to be speaking about today addressing is the one of imminence. And the doctrine of imminence says that the very next thing on the prophetic, now if, whether it's right or not is what we're going to be talking about, the very next thing on the prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. Jesus is coming. There's nothing else that needs to occur beforehand. This is what imminence teaches. Um, Matthew and Sarah knew what it was a week ago. Imminence was, you know, Lydia, little Lydia Ruth was Im- going to be born, imminently born, at any time. There's, everything was prepared, everything was ready. She could be born at any moment. You know, Dean's already been at the hospital, and I assume Jen, Jenny too, with Pamela, and, she, and, and Chris too, um, have already been at the hospital today. And there's a little bit of a break. She could be born. It's imminent. That means it can happen any moment, and nothing must occur first. Okay, so this is the question... Is that biblical? What does it mean? And what does it mean to us? So as I was mentioning, during my teenage years, I had this real hunger for the Word of God. And I taught the pre-trib rapture of the church. I remember, it, I live way up in northern Canada, and I, I say that I'm just down the road from Santa Claus. Um, was, was, I live way up there, literally, way up there. And it was a 12-hour drive to the nearest Christian bookstore. So I remember visiting a Christian bookstore one time and seeing these big, um, really big, uh, there's probably about 40 pages of charts in two books there. And I remember buying those. It was so exciting to be able to go through and dig through all these charts and pictures and everything else. And it gave me such a hunger for the Lord at this time. And coming from the perspective of the pre-trib. The Lord can come at any moment. Now there's really, and I'll cover these shortly, there's three main views at the time that the church believed in. That the Lord can come back at any moment, pre-trib, and I'll cover the other ones as well. And each of those had their strengths, and each of them had certain issues. And so I came from the pre-trib perspective saying, I believe this, it makes the most sense. But I can see a couple of the holes, a couple of the issues in it. And, and really, that's where we came from. So the question is, what does the Bible say? In fact, I think as a result of this, over the last 20, 25, 30 years from this time period, is the church has swayed from talking about it often to kind of being afraid of its subject. And just the kind of there's a fear, potentially, or an unknown, just feeling we can't really know what the Bible says. Is it supposed to be for us to know? And we kind of shy away from that. I don't believe that's the case at all, as we'll, we'll cover today. And so in 1993, I had someone come and give a book to me, gave a book to my father, actually, and I read it. And at the time, actually, I was doing a Bible study with um, fellow youth in high school, 
and going through is Tim LaHaye's book, Revelation, was one of the key uh, accounts that we had used at the time from a pre-trib perspective. And this other book came to me called The Pre-Wrath Rapture of the Church by a man named Marvin Rosenthal. And Rosenthal is an interesting person. He, is, he was a director for 16 years of Israel My Glory, a huge organization influencing around the world. It had a publication of 300,000 um, subscribers, over nearly a million readership on a regular basis of this organization. And it's one that's very predominantly, in fact, it's exclusively pre-trip. But he had a businessman friend of his, this is in the, mid the later 80s, that started questioning and asking him him, Different questions. And so he'd ask some questions, and he thought he gave all the right answers. Well, he'd call him back a couple weeks later and says he had some more questions. And he called him back until eventually he started realizing, you know what, he's not happy with my answers. And this went on for a number of years. In fact, the businessman friend Robert Van Campen bought a computer for each of them, and they did a lot of study long distance at the time. It wasn't the same as it was today. And the discussion went back and forth until eventually he started seeing, you know what, here it is. And... and you know what's so interesting is the end result is seeing Scripture in just how you read it. It's not complex in the end. But I think the, the reason is, and it talks about it in Daniel chapter 12, that the, it says twice in Daniel chapter 12 that the words of this scroll will be sealed until the time of the end. But you know what? There was never a time that the words were physically sealed. There's a spiritual ceiling until the times of the end. And then it said, in the times of the end, the wicked will not understand, but the righteous will understand. So I believe in the last days, God's going to start to reveal things to us that maybe in the 80s caused confusion. And people had elements that were correct, but all of a sudden it's going to start to flow. It's going to start to make sense. And I believe that's where we are. And that's what I want to reveal um, a key part of that to you today as we look through. So, let me start first. And actually, Rebecca, can you put up um, 1 Thessalonians? I didn't... 1 Thessalonians 4, starting with, let's say, 15 to 18. And the rapture of the church, what is it? Some people say the, the rapture never occurs in the Bible. Absolutely it does. The word rapture doesn't occur in most translations, but rapture means to be caught up. And the Bible talks about rapture all over the place in Scripture. Um, so, here we see in 1 Thessalonians 4.15, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming... Oh, by the way, first, let me, let me stop. Let me preface this. Um, the church of Thessalonica, they got confused. They thought that the Lord... They had heard rumor that the Lord had already come. And so what they did is they... Some of them left their jobs. They started being idle. They stopped working. They ran up into the mountains, and they expected the Lord to come. And so the encouragement, the, the word Paul had to give, and all, the, the other thing they were worried about, in, in the second letter, by the way, addresses some more things, Second Thessalonians, is that the people were starting to die. And they said, oh no, people are dying. They're not going to see the rapture. They're not going to go to heaven. And there's a real concern to them. So Paul's addressing this when he talks about the rapture, but he's also talking about the dead and the living and what happens to them. So we see here, the words on we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain will be caught together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus we will always be with the Lord. So this is the rapture. Now this is not the only scripture. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about us being changed in the twinkling of an eye. It talks about the corruptible putting on incorruption, the mortal putting on immortality. And we see, I mean, we see Jesus as the first fruits. Remember when Jesus died and he came back again um, after he rose again? Remember he kind of just appeared in rooms, locked doors. He could eat, he could feel, he could touch. Maybe he didn't even have to eat, probably didn't have the hunger, but he had his resurrected body. And that's the first fruits is an example of what we're going to have. So we, when we get our new bodies, we will have um, all the functionality that we have now, but a glorified bodies. It says immortality, right? Incorruption is what we're going to have. 
So this is the rapture, is a time when Christ comes for his church. But let's cast a little bit of a different picture. And the Bible talks about God's wrath, the day of the Lord. What is the the day of the Lord? And we see a period of time the Bible talks about in Revelation is really... You know what? It hit me this last week. I was meditating on this and praying, and it... All of a sudden, I saw a revelation. I said, you know what I think it is? And we, see it, we hear it as a vision, right? It's a vision that, that um, John has, and he goes through. But I think that all of heaven prepared for a period of time for this vision. It was like a role play. And I, I believe, that, and it's my speculation, but I believe that, you know, you seven angels, you're going to come out here. Now, as soon as you blow your trumpets, as soon as each one does, then we'll show him a vision over here. But then I want one of you seven to step forward, take him, take John in the spirit to this new place. And I want you to reveal something else. Then you'll take him back again, and someone else will show him something else. And it's interesting because you see one of the seven angels will all of a sudden lead him in the spirit to a new place. And so it's this massive role play that's laid out to reveal to us the timing of the rapture and the details surrounded this, so we can be encouraged. It's actually very exciting. Well, parts of it aren't exciting. Now, let me just ease you in advance. The Bible says that we're spared God's wrath. So when I talk about the most scary parts of God's wrath, we are spared from that. Um, But we see these periods of time, like when the seven angels come, and they blow the trumpet, and as each one blows the trumpet, certain things happen. Um, For example, you know, one of them blows the trumpets, and all of a sudden, all the grass on the entire planet burns, and a third of the trees burn to the ground. You know, another one blows his trumpet, and this huge mountain is thrown into the ocean. A third of the ships on the entire planet are destroyed. One of them, a quarter of the Earth's population, are destroyed. We're talking potentially two billion people die during this one of these events. During this, we have another time is this star, or an angel, is given a key to the abyss, he unlocks it, and these creatures, these demon creatures, come from the earth, and they start to populate around the earth, hitting the people that took the mark of the beast. They were told not to. They took the mark of the beast. They start to torment them for a period of exactly five months. For five months, they hit them with their tails like a sting of a scorpion. And they hit these guys that the feels, and I, I haven't been stung by a scorpion. I've been told it's one of the most painful stings known to man. And for five months, they torment them until these people are trying to die. They said, this is so bad, we need to die. But I don't know if they're immobilized or whatever. It says they can't even die during this period of time. So, and this is, I mean, I just mentioned three of multiple during this time. So we see a period of God's wrath that occurs. In fact, the Bible talks about things that lead up to the time of the end, what, the time that we're in right now. We see the earthquake here last week. And many of you have probably read, but they, a, a measurement at one of the GPS locations on the mainland Japan shows that from the tsunami, the entire mainland Japan has moved by eight feet. That's for me to Andy. Eight feet here. The, the entire mainland Japan. This is just four days, three days ago. Uh, in fact, in Italy... They, a measurement says that the Earth's orbit has been jarred by four inches, ten centimeters, and so we can see the. Is it our day's been shortened by three seconds? Wow, that's incredible, and yeah, so we can see now. The, did you know the Bible prophesied about all these things? Daniel chapter twelve, it says, "In the last days, our knowledge shall increase. Knowledge shall increase." And it says that's the warning of when all these things are start to come. Did you know every two years, the entire knowledge of the human race accumulated doubles? That means two years from now, everything that has ever been known in all of past has now been doubled. And that's happening every two years. We're seeing an exponential chart of what's occurring here. The Bible talks about earthquakes are going to increase, wars Famine, pestilence, disease, rumors of war. The Bible prophesies all these things, and it has thousands of years ago. 
Israel being the center of the world in terms of location and in terms of topic. The subject has always been the center of the world. You know, Israel didn't become a nation again until 1948. And for all this time, Israel was scattered throughout the entire world, came back, established in the same place that God had prophesied, this is yours to keep. Right? So, we can see that we're living in the last days. Now, when is the Lord coming back? Is it in the next year or two? Is it 10, 20? I'm not sure. But I believe we're very, very close to this. Which means that the topic of end times is one that needs to start stirring in our hearts again. We need to start understanding it again. But now the question is, are we going to be here for... Are we going to be raptured before it all starts? Are we going to be here for God's wrath? Are we going to be here for the persecution against the church by the Antichrist? What amount are we going to be here? It's, an, it's a question that's very, very important to us. Because, see, the majority of the church believes in the pre-trib rapture. The pre-trib says that we're raptured before any of this occurs. We're going to be taken from the earth. Okay, so then the rapture occurs, we're gone, and from heaven we get to watch all these things take place. But what if the Bible doesn't teach that? What if the Bible says that, and you see the prophetic, you know the prophetic voice in the nation, in the world today? The Rick Joiners, these people? They don't speak the pre-trib rapture. They speak of a time of persecution that's coming that we need to be ready for. A time of revival and a time where the church has to stay strong. In fact, Pastor Byron's message, if you read the Dear People message on Thursday, was very timely, and it talked about the persecution and us being ready for this. In fact, you know that the pre-trib rapture of the church is predominantly in North America only. Because in North America, we want it. Now, I don't believe that people are purposely deceptive that teach it. I taught it. I believed it. I believed it was the best of the options. And, but yet, is it biblical? We're going to look, look through some of these things. So let's, um, Rebecca, if you can throw up that chart, let's look at the different views that we have here. And we start here with this period of time that many call the tribulation, which I've titled at the bottom Daniel's 70th week. Okay, it's a period of seven years that occur. I'll come back to this in a minute. We have a period of time afterwards called the millennium. And this is an exciting time in our new bodies. We have us in our glorified bodies, other people in their normal bodies coexisting together. We rule and reign. We see the lion lays down with the lamb. The lion will eat straw like an ox. So if you're wondering, the Garden of Eden, what did the lion do? Very likely, it's a vegetarian at the time. So going back again, going back again to that. Um, we see, so there's, there's a whole change, and this is going to be an exciting time, the millennium, for us. It's really, it, it is heaven on earth, is what it is. Um, but it's an interesting time because it's not all perfect. There's going to be a certain amount of death, not in Jerusalem. Jerusalem's a bubble of perfect, protection. But around the rest of the world, there's going to be people that will die. The, the Bible says that if anyone dies at the age of 100, they're considered a young person. Like, oh, that poor, poor dear person, they died so young. At 100. But it also says that they're accursed. So people will not normally die at that age unless they've done something wrong. And so you're going to see all these things occurring at this time. Us, any of us that have been born again, accepted Jesus as our Savior, we're going in the rapture or prior. Where the rapture really has taken us up and we come in our glorified bodies. Um, beyond that, see eternity. We see the great white throne judgment that occurs at the end. But it's a seven year period that most of the book of Revelation talks about. Here's where all the events occur. But the question is, where does the rapture occur? Is it at the beginning, the middle, the end? So this top one here, it shows a star. The star refers to Jesus coming again, the rapture. The question mark means no one knows the day or the hour. Okay, it could come at any time. It's imminent. It could come at any time for us. That's referred to as the pre-trib rapture of the church. The second one is a view held by many as well, refers to the mid-trib rapture of the church. That Jesus is coming in the middle. God's wrath starts then. They, they put a little bit of a difference as to where God's wrath starts. And goes for the duration, we're going to be in heaven. 
and then Jesus comes again, sets his foot on the Mount of Olives at the end of the seven-year period. Let me tell you, the, the people that mostly believe in the pre-trib view, actually it's, it's the majority of our church today, believes in the pre-trib rapture of the church. It's the most commonly held view. And I did. I felt it was the best of the, three, the top three main views. And uh, we saw the Tim LaHaye, Jerry Jenkins. Remember the Left Behind series? How many have read the Left Behind series? Right? Um, a, a good portion of us have read the Left Behind series. I, I enjoyed the series. It was great. And we see Peter and Paul Lalonde. Anyone remember them? Jack Van Impey, a man who has memorized, for, I've been told, word for word, the New Testament. Um, incredible man of God. And there are a lot of people that I really look up to that believe the pre-trib rapture of the church. The majority of our church today do, especially in North America. And the mid-trib has a smaller following, but there's some key, key points and key people that do follow that. The post-trib says that we are spared somehow in the midst. There's no clear answer on how, but somehow we are spared in the midst of it on earth, but we're still here on earth during the seven-year period. And a lot of people hold to the post-trib view. It's gained a lot more um, momentum over, over the years. And I'll tell you who believes in the post-trib. It's the people that write the systematic theology books. It's the theologians. It's the ones that study it in depth. Usually end up coming to that view because it's truer to their core doctrinal beliefs than the pre-trib. The pre-trib, in my opinion, you have to take a lot of spiritual gymnastics to be able to continue to maintain the pre-trib rapture of the church. And that's why people have gravitated to this. But the fourth view is a new one that was introduced, I mentioned, with Van Kampen in 1990. And Van Kampen was a significant person. It meant a lot to him, his job and everything else. And he studied it with, without a desire to change. He did not want to believe something different. He wanted to believe in pre-trib, he wanted to stay where it was comfortable. And yet, he was compelled by his study to see that there's something different here. And that's where he came from. And he wrote the book, this kind of a foundational book on the pre-rapture of the church. And there's actually hundreds of churches now across the world that call themselves pre-wrath and believe in the pre-wrath rapture of the church. It's, a, it's gaining a lot of momentum, but I believe the church hasn't been studying this topic in the last 20 years and therefore a lot of people haven't heard it. And so that's why today I believe it's really important for me to have an opportunity to share this with you because the perspective really changes, doesn't it, in, in this. And so here's what the pre-wrath rapture says. The pre-wrath rapture of the church says that we are here. The, the difference is that the first six seals that the other views usually say is God's wrath, the first six seals are not God's wrath. They're Satan's wrath. And I'll tell you, actually, the fifth seal is the persecution by the Antichrist against the saints. That answer is plain and simple. That's not God's wrath. The first one is false, um, false Christs going out. Again, not God's wrath. So, and the other ones are wars and stuff like that that could go either way. But the first five seals are not God's wrath. Then in Revelation chapter 6, all of a sudden, the people start fleeing into, under the rocks. They say, hide us from the great day of God's wrath has come. It's, wrath is never mentioned in Revelation until this point. It says, for the great day of his wrath has come. In Revelation 6. And they said, hide us from God. And then you know what it does? It describes the exact same events talked about in Matthew 24 that occur at the rapture of Christ. The, the sun turns black like sackcloth. The moon turns blood red. By the way, this is probably the blood the Jews are familiar with, which is dried blood, which is almost black. It's dark, dried blood, not a bright red. And the moon turns blood red. The stars start shooting to the earth. The sky rolls back like a scroll. This is mentioned in Joel 2, Joel 3, it's in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, Revelation 6. You start to see what I call a pin. Things start pinning together. You start seeing the big picture as you see all these things. And this occurs at the rapture. So now it says also in Matthew 24, if you read Matthew 24 in order, it's, it makes perfect sense. Go home today, read Matthew 24, a homework assignment for you. 
and just read it, and all of a sudden it makes sense, but don't take it from the perspective that we've heard before, the spiritual gymnastics I've talked about, that this is only for Israel. It's not. Matthew is all for the church. The Great Commission, do we assume the Great Commission is just for Israel? Go into all the world and preach the gospel? It's for all of us. And Matthew 24 is for all of us. Okay, so, and if you read it in order, it makes perfect sense. We see the earthquakes, famine, pestilence. Then it says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, let the reader understand, and then it says the great persecution, the great tribulation occurs at this point. Then it says, unless those days are shortened, no flesh should be saved. Here's the key to the pre-wrath view is unless those days were shortened, where the post-trib takes us through the entire period, the pre-wrath says, no, that shortened us for us. It's not the entire time we have to be here. We're only here for Satan's wrath. Then the sixth seal occurs, we're raptured, and then God's wrath occurs. We're not here for that. Okay? Then we see the nation of Israel is protected during this time, um, at this point, unbelieving Israel, for the most part, is, but they're going to recognize their Messiah at the end of the seven-year period of time. And that, in essence, is the pre-wrath rapture of the church. But the question now is, what does it mean for us? Because if it does, In fact, let me tell you some of the key things that happen at the midpoint. So at the midpoint, we see... Um, first of all, we start with... Satan and his angels in heaven. And Michael and his angels, and there's a battle, takes place. The Bible talks about this in Revelation, that the, the two are fighting back and forth for a period of time. This is happening it's right in the, both the middle. See the line right in the middle of Daniel's 70th week? Okay. There's, um, actually, let me stop for one second. Let me explain the seven-year period, what starts it, because it's a key question I forgot to answer. And the Bible says, now the whole 70 weeks is talked about in Daniel chapter 9. And Gabriel, the angel, comes to, comes to Daniel and says, there are 70 sevens are decreed. 70 periods of seven something, which you find out later on are years, are decreed for your people. To put an end to sin, to anoint the most holy. There's six things that are listed. And there's going to be the first 69 weeks. It starts from the decree to restore and build Jerusalem, Daniel or Nehemiah chapter 2, until Messiah the Prince. It's when Jesus is recognized as Messiah on Palm Sunday, a week before they then crucify him. But he's recognized as Messiah, and that's exactly, exactly 1,700, um, what is it, 173,880 days. It's prophesied. If you take that and you account for leap years and everything else, you go back to the history books, Jesus walked into Jerusalem on the very day that it was prophesied. If you want to learn about future events, study some of the ones that have already occurred, and we see some incredible things. Did you know the Bible says, or in the Bible, 23% of the Bible is about prophetic verses that are still, that were prophetic at the time. Of that, half have already been fulfilled, which we can learn from, and half, that's an eighth of all scripture, talks about future events still to occur. Some entire books are devoted to the topic of end times. Do you think God wants us to understand it? He does. Now he's going to start opening our eyes more and more. And so, the 69 weeks have come, but then it says there's going to be a gap. And... The Messiah is going to be cut off. Jesus is crucified. The temple, or the, the Jewish nation, is going to be trampled on by the Romans, which happened in AD 70. And then there's going to be a period of time, there's one last week that's hanging on. And this week, it says, it starts with a peace treaty between the Antichrist, or the leader at the time, and the nations around in Israel. Is going to be orchestrated. It's going to be a seven-year period of 360-day years, for whichever reason it's going to be. 360-day years. What's that? It is the Jewish calendar, absolutely. And it was also the calendar at the Babylonian time and, and everything else. So the, this period of time then comes in, and many people call this the tribulation, the whole seven years. That's why you see pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, except the Bible doesn't call the whole thing tribulation at any point 
in Scripture. So don't let that get you hung up on the tribulation. Um, the second half is called the Great Tribulation in Matthew 24, but the entire period is never called the Tribulation. Okay, so what happens at the midpoint? The midpoint, we see this battle between Michael and his angels, Satan and his demons. They fight. Michael and the archangel wins the battle. They kick out Satan, throw him to the earth at the midpoint, three and a half year mark. Satan is furious because, it says this, he's furious because his time is short. He indwells the Antichrist. The Antichrist, the world leader who's already messed up, but now, and he has control of the entire world in terms of his power and reach. Satan himself indwells him. The Antichrist actually dies and comes back to life. I'm not sure if it happens here or not, but at some point, the Satan will indwell him. The ant, by the way, the temple has been rebuilt by here in these last first three and a half years. Yeah, which is not a God-given thing, but it's exciting still to see because God doesn't necessarily want the temple. Jesus fulfilled all that, but the Jewish people will orchestrate it. And we already see parts of the temple are in place now. There's a $303 million candlestick has been donated and built and sitting there, which is a perfect replica of the one of Moses. And, and there's lots of stuff. It's incredible of what's there. So this is in place. The Antichrist sets himself up in the temple and says, I am God. Worship me. Um, he now starts pursuing the Israel. Now, as he pursues Israel, Israel starts fleeing into the wilderness. Satan causes this massive flood to pursue Israel, the nation of Israel, and starts to overwhelm and catch up. God opens up the earth. The water disappears into this hole that God protects, and Israel is protected for 1,260 days in the wilderness during this period of time. Satan is furious again, still furious, and he pursues the child of the nation of Israel, or the offspring, which is us, the church. Pursues the church, what's called the Great Tribulation, and the Bible says it's tribulation that has never occurred and never will. It's greater than any time, past, present, future. Is it possible that God wants to start preparing our hearts now for what are exciting but also difficult times? At this time, the two witnesses appear. We hear the two witnesses. They come and they start causing all kinds of havoc for God's glory. And we see a lot of things happen. The Antichrist sets up the mark of the beast, 666. The Bible talks about in Revelation 13. This gets established during this time. Everyone, the currency, the only option to do it is to put a mark on the right hand or on their forehead, which we now have the technology to do. It's not a visible one like in the 80s. We had all the drawings of a 666 across the forehead. We now realize it's probably technology that's embedded within us that you know, we can drive down the road and get a speeding ticket just from driving by something. Rather than, you know, there's The technology has progressed so far. And this is where we are now. This, the last three and a half years, the Great Tribulation. And now that we don't know, the Bible says we don't know the day or the hour. And we don't. And so Dean's trying to corner me here on giving up the day or the hour. I, of course, I don't know the day or the hour. Or I tell. In fact, Jesus said, it's so interesting, in Matthew 24, Jesus says, I don't even know the day or the hour. Only the Father knows. But we can know the times and the seasons. The Bible is clear to that. In fact, if you read a few passages here in Scripture, it says um, that he comes, the Lord comes like a thief in the night, but he won't surprise us who are watching. It's not a thief in the night for us. And you watch that carefully. So it's not, we're not supposed to be surprised. And that brings us, Jonathan, that brings us to the topic of imminence. Um, if you pull up this here, Reynolds Showers is a pre-trib scholar. And, sorry, this background was a poor choice for, the, for this screen. But Reynolds Showers defines it as this, as an imminent event is one which is always hanging overhead, is constantly ready to befall and overtake one, close at hand in its incidents. Or thus, imminence carries a sense that it could happen at any moment. Other things may occur before the imminent event, but nothing else must happen. Again, like a birth. If we know in this, the last bit before the baby is to be born, other things may happen first, nothing must happen. This is the strongest doctrine that a pre-trib holds on to, the imminence. That is the foundation of everything. I think if you ask a person that believes in the pre-trib rapture, why do you believe in the pre-trib rapture? 
because the next thing on the prophetic timeline has to be this. We're spared from God's wrath. No one knows the day or the hour. And imminence. And they're, they're saying these, these. And the question is, does the Bible teach imminence? That nothing else can occur first? Or is it possible the Bible even teaches something completely different? That there's certain signs that we as the body can start watching for. What if we can watch for the sign of the peace treaty? Or it's very clear, it's, there's debate um, whether we will notice that or whether it will sneak by us. Um, I believe we will see it. But in the, yeah, should be pretty clear, you would think. But it's very clear that at the three and a half year mark, when the Antichrist sets himself up as God and starts to pursue the church, um, that it's going to be very obvious to us. But what if we're not prepared? What if we're not ready? We have a different perspective. It's going to really throw us off. And so let's look at, Jonathan, if you go to the next slide there, the verses here, and let me read it from this screen. And it says, here, what I did, actually, I took the best verses. I went to Dwight Pentecost book, Things to Come. I took his favorite verses, honestly. I took the very top ones I went through, and I've looked at other pre-trib scholars. Tim LaHaye's book, Rapture Under Attack, from 1998. I took all these books and says, what are their best scriptures that they bring? And he, these are their top. I'm being completely honest. This is them. So let's see if it t- talks about imminence. It says, looking for the blessed hope, and glorious appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, the argument is that if, the, if we're looking for the blessed hope, there can't be anything in front of it, right? The next thing on the timeline has to be the blessed hope for us to truly be looking for it. Or, therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober, watching for the coming of the Lord. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, but see the, if you will not watch, there's a hint that we can watch and know. But anyways, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come upon you. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Again, we need to be looking forward to Christ's coming. Or, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. It's a good argument, but does it really say there can't be anything else first? I picture my, my kids are at home, and the grandparents are coming. They rent a car, and so they're driving in from the airport. And we're told, your grandparents are coming at any moment. We need to watch. It's imminent when the grandparents come. And what do they watch for? Do they watch for the grandparents to come in the door? No. They watch out our back door. We can see the car coming first. Right? The car starts coming down the road, you can see, and we know they're coming, or at least one car, we're not sure. We haven't seen the rental car before. And they start watching for these signs that occur. But they're still watching. They're not betraying their grandparents by seeing something else first. These verses don't say there can't be something first on the prophetic timeline. In fact, what if there says the opposite? The argument is that even the early church expected Jesus at any moment, is their argument, right? What if I showed you from Scripture that the early church didn't expect Jesus at any moment? Right? Would that kind of throw us for a bit of a loop? Well, let's, let's try it, Jonathan. Let's, let's show him. <clears throat> um, so we see in John chapter 21, Jesus is, this is the feed my sheep part at the end of the book of John, And Jesus says this to Peter. He says, feed my sheep. Very truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. Someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Peter knew before Jesus' ascension that he was going to die before the rapture occurred. He knew how he was going to die. And this goes on a little bit, and there's a little bit of confusion. They think that, it's, that Jesus says to John, you're not going to die. And John says, no, no, Jesus didn't say that. He just said, what if? And that's what Jesus said. So there's a bit of confusion there, um, which is, but still further to the point, is we can see that at no point could Peter have expected Jesus to come at any moment. The any moment rapture was not for Peter. And here's another one to, for Paul. The following night, the Lord 
stood near Paul and said, Take courage, for you will testify about me in Jerusalem. You will also testify about me in Rome. Peter, Paul, sorry, did not expect an any moment rapture at this point in his life. He didn't expect Jesus to come that night. He wouldn't have said, if the Lord tarries, because he had a prophecy. And I, I'm, by the way, I, I honor the people that have gone before and speak all this. I, I don't want to you know, make light of that at all. But Paul and Peter would not have said that. Peter, for his entire life, So, the doctrine of imminence is not biblical. Not only is it not taught, it's taught against. We are going to see certain things occur. And not only so, we're going to be here for the Great Tribulation. I believe that, I believe it's very soon. I really believe it could be in our lifetime. It could be very soon. We watch the events that occur in the world. And some of us in this room... I believe it's time for God to be preparing our hearts. Now, it's exciting. I, I want to tell you. And sometimes I bring this up and some people get worried. And rightfully so. You know, we're going to be here for this. We thought we were going to be raptured. A whole life we've been told that we're raptured first. And it's really hard to change our mindset when we've heard this. It took me a long time, a lot of studying, to realize that the pre-trib view wasn't right. I had, a, I had so many objections, so many questions, until I started really studying it. And... But what is God preparing? I believe that some people in this room will have an opportunity to serve God in very unique ways. Pastor Byron's dear people this week was so right on. Read that again when you go home. Second homework assignment. And um, because he, he just says it so well about the persecution. And he says, now the persecution, now there are certain hardships that can come from God. There's hardships that come from the world around us. We live in a fallen world. People have free will to do things that hurt. But persecution itself never comes from God. Um, but there are things that come that give us opportunities to serve God. The Bible talks about this joy that we have when we serve God in this way. In fact, do you want to know pure joy? It gives the definition of pure joy in James chapter 1. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must do its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In fact, of the 27 books in the New Testament, I sat down one time and looked through, and 26 of them, all but the book of Philemon, addressed to a slave owner. 26 books in the New Testament talk about our hardship that we have, hardships for serving Christ. And, in fact, you know what, Let's, I want to call up this, this one here, Jonathan, um, Matthew, this is one that Pastor Byron had mess, uh, mentioned, and it's in Matthew chapter, um, where is it here? Well, it's not standing out to me, but it, it's throughout Scripture, there's so many passages that Christ talks about the hardship that we need to face, the perspective that we need to have. And, but he always gives this perspective of looking forward to something else. We see this in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with endurance. We see this endurance. It's not a sprint that God has for us. Run with endurance, the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And that's God's perspective. See, we are faced with a lot of trials in this world. We're faced with it now. Even in our cushy North America, we have a lot of things that hurt us. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of sorrow. But God's perspective is that, yes, I understand. I weep with you. And the way to stay strong in this is fix your eyes beyond that. Fix your eyes on what I have in store. In fact, in Philippians chapter 3, it says, forgetting the things that are behind, I press hold to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. It's a setting our eyes on things above. And we see it over and over again. On, you know, it has been granted to us on behalf of Christ, in Philippians chapter 1, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. And wow, it's been granted to us to suffer for him. That's Pastor Byron's message, by the way. Read, read that message from Thursday. Is the joy that we have in serving God. Now, 
it says in Matthew 24 unless, that for the sake of the elect, you know, no flesh would be saved, but those days are shortened. God is shortening those days on purpose so that many of us will see the blessed hope ourselves. Many will be alive. Many will survive the great tribulation. That's encouraging, very encouraging. Many in this room, I believe, one day you're going to be there. You're going to hear the trumpet sound. You're going to hear a voice of an archangel. The heaven's going to rip open. You're going to see Jesus come. Every eye will see him. It's not a silent rapture. And he's going to come. And we're, you're going to be glorified, changed in the twinkling of an eye to your new bodies. Not a painful experience whatsoever. You're changed to the new bodies and will forever be with the Lord. Right? So this is... This is what we're destined for. Now, there's other of us that may have a period of time in prison, and some of us will have opportunities to serve the Lord through martyrdom as well, because I believe that the time will come that Satan is given authority for 42 months. That's the three, same period, three and a half years, on the earth. Now, it says we overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimonies, and we did not love our lives to the point of death. So every time, this is interesting, because how do we overcome him as we're dying? Same verse, right? How do we overcome him as we're dying? Because the word of our testimony, every time the Antichrist sees a believer martyred, is because something eats at him further and further and further. It's not victory. He starts losing this battle. And Pastor Byron's message again talked about the joy of the martyrs. As the martyrs walked by, he saw that joy and that reward that they had to be able to serve God in that fashion. So the joy that we have in this period is so great. And God gives us a strength. You know what? It's one of these things. We had um, Alicia was born two months early in Arizona. And we had always got insurance. It's something you're supposed to do when you go from Canada to the States. And whatever reason, I forgot to get insurance. And I was like flying down there. I said, I forgot to get insurance. I sure hope I don't get a snake bite in Arizona or something. And Alicia's born two months early. <laughs> Cost us $40,000, $43,000 for this whole event. But you know what? During the event, there's something that kind of stood out to me afterwards. I realized, and by the way, we were blessed by the um, breaks with the government and donations and everything else, and we survived it. It was, you know... Thank, thank the Lord. Um, and it was, a, it was a good learning experience. But one thing I... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to America. Yeah. Um, but one thing that was really interesting for me is people asked, you know, well, how did you handle it? How did you do all that? And you know what? We just did. Like, there was no difficulty. It, it, afterwards, when you look back at it, it seems overwhelming. When you're in it, you just do it. And I think that's what's going to happen during these times. Is we're going to, you know, we say, could it be difficult? No, it's just going to make perfect sense. We're going to, and I, it's God's grace, is what it is. And I believe we'll have a chance to create an underground system for those that are wise and those that are watching this in advance. We'll have currency exchange. We'll have communication that's um, planned in advance. We're going to have health care is going to be situated, so we'll be able to minister to each other in certain ways. We're going to have the debates on whether do we go out and witness and risk our lives? Do we stay hidden? These kind of are going to be fun kind of questions that are going to come up. And <laughs> so it's, it's going to be a radical time for the church at large. But I believe God wants to start preparing our hearts now for what he has and to get us ready for that. So, That's awesome. Um, I just wanted to say that um, Scott has had a passion for this subject ever since I've known him, ever since he was a child, really. And, um, you know, for 20 years... He's just been studying it. You can tell he knows all the scriptures it's in. He's memorized books upon books of the Bible. I mean, he can just recite Philippians or something, the whole entire book. And um, he just has this passion. I believe even a supernatural ability to just understand it. And um, 
you know, we've been married for 15 years, and he talks about it all the time, and I still don't understand it. <laughs> so I just feel like sometimes when the subject comes up that there's, um, the enemy can bring fear, or um, the enemy can bring this sort of feeling of uncertainty or, um, you know, even frustration about it, and and makes you kind of want to just ignore it or bury your head in the sand or feel like, well, if I don't see it, it's not going to happen or something like that. But I feel like two things. One is God will give us the grace to walk through this. And two, that if you have fear in your heart about it, that's not the Lord. And so, you know, the more we um, study and understand and, um, you know, walk through this, there's, there's, the more questions come up. You know, it's almost like the more you talk about it, the more you have questions. But I also feel like the Lord will give us a grace to just walk through this. He's going to give us a, a strength, a resolve, and that, um, you know, Scott feels like a lot of us in our lifetime are going to see some of these events occur. And already, even with the earthquake in Japan, and, and more and more, I mean, obviously, even in my own lifetime that I can think of, there are more earthquakes, more natural disasters. It seems like they're coming one after the other after the other, and it's only going to increase. But the Lord, when you seek him and trust him, will give you his peace. So um, I just want to pray right now, too, just for that, um, just for the peace of God. So, Lord, we just thank you for your peace. And we thank you for your word that shows us these things, but we also just thank you that you can reside in us, that your Holy Spirit can give us strength to walk through this. And those who are going to be um, imprisoned or, you know, facing martyrdom or facing these um, Satan's wrath, that, Lord, there would not be fear, but there would be a joy set before us that we're doing this for you and that we can speak to others about this, that they would be saved from God's wrath and they would be brought up with you to live just for eternity in our heavenly bodies. And just when all of this wrath is passed, that we're going to have peace and you know, just for eternity, we're going to live for eternity with peace. And we just thank you for that, Lord. And I just pray right now for your peace and your grace. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Well, if you were stirred up today, seek the Lord, right? Yeah, that was amazing. Thank you, Scott. We just also, yeah. We also want to put out there, one of the things Melissa mentioned is that, um, I think it was, yes, if, if you have fear in your heart, it's, it's not the Lord. You know, and there's a release from that. So I will put this out there too. If you don't know the Lord and you want to know the Lord, I would love to introduce you to him today. <laughs> so you can come up and see me afterwards or just come up and get prayer. If you have need prayer for anything else that's going on, more revelation on this, um, a settling in your spirit about this, a watching and waiting, you know, that's stirring up in you to start watching, waiting, understanding the times. We can pray for you for that. If you need healing to be released or set free. So we're just going to open up to ministry time and, and release those of you who are ready to go. All right. Well, thank you, Lord. And y'all be blessed. Amen.